Hi everyone and welcome to the self-care community. I'm Ruth Ann Russo, your host, and I'm so excited to have here with me Ryan Smith. Ryan, welcome. Thanks Ruth Ann, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, so we've been talking about this for quite a while. And um, before we get started, I just wanna give everyone a just a broad brush overview, and then if you wouldn't mind filling in the blanks about your background and experience, which I think is just so sure. interesting and cool. So Ryan is, uh, he is both an acupuncturist and integrative medicine practitioner, and you can and fill in some of the details around that, but he is also an instructor and a teacher of acupuncture, essential oils, and there may actually be other topics that Ryan is an expert on as well that he teaches, and he can talk to you about that. And also, more recently, Ryan has also entered into the world of app design. So he has actually created, or is in the process of creating, right? You're still mm -hmm. Okay, in the process of creating a very interesting app. So Ryan, if you wouldn't mind just giving a little bit of more overview about your background so everyone can get a sense for your expertise and your interest and experience. Sure. So... I'm an acupuncturist and I have been practicing acupuncture and Chinese medicine for 11 years now. And shortly after I graduated from acupuncture school, my father was diagnosed with stage four esophageal cancer. And I hit the books, you know, it's my dad. I wanted to learn everything that I could about what signs and symptoms he might experience from chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery. So um, I had the advantage of, you know, just being able to pour over this material before he even began his treatments. And I also was able to follow a colleague around Columbia Presbyterian, where they have integrative medicine in their pediatric oncology department. And that's where I learned about uh, acupressure and essential oils in addition to acupuncture. And so right off the bat, I ended up with a subspecialty in cancer care. And I would speak about um, integrative medicine at patient care uh, events and conferences. And at one of those conferences, I met the, uh, the manager of integrative health at NYU Perlmutter Cancer Center, and she invited me to come on as their lead acupuncturist. So I divided my week between the cancer hospital and my private practice for about three years. And now I'm back in just private practice. But I learned a lot um, in my time there. I went to a few conferences where I've gained insight from some interesting research. And um, that's, that's sort of how I got into this whole world of um, cancer self-care. Wow. Thank you, Ryan. And that it's always so powerful, right? When we have this personal reason that actually mm -hmm. us into a certain life, life purpose, I guess you could say, right? With you focusing on your dad and what you wanted to do to help other folks who ended up with diagnoses like his. Absolutely, absolutely. He was given six months to live um, as a prognosis and he survived two and a half years. And so I miss him terribly. And at the same time, I can see how his journey opened a door for me to make a difference in the field. For sure. So Ryan, just to clarify for people that are listening, when, when you hear someone say, yeah, I have a specialty in cancer care, um, mm -hmm. acupuncture and Chinese medicine expertise. What does that really mean? It doesn't, we, we're not treating, sure. we're not the primary treatment uh, 
provider for someone with cancer, but can you talk a little right. bit about what that, what that would look like for your cancer patients? Absolutely. So with chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery come a whole host of signs and symptoms that are side effects from the treatments. And that's where Chinese medicine really um, shines because what we can do is we can work alongside Western treatment to help improve a patient's quality of life. And that can actually help them to withstand the Western treatments in a much better way. So while the Western practitioners focus on the cancer, we'll focus on things like nausea, uh, digestive disturbances, like acid reflux, constipation, diarrhea. Um, for women who are undergoing hormone treatments to reduce the amount of estrogen in their system for estrogen-dependent tumors, uh, they may experience early menopause symptoms like night sweats or hot flashes. And for thousands of years, practice, practitioners of Chinese medicine have been able to balance out the systems of the body to reduce these types of symptoms. And we're able to do this whether they're caused, for example, with the with aging women going through menopause. Sometimes these things happen because of aging. Sometimes it's because of a chemical um, being introduced into the system. But in both circumstances, we're able to balance out the system. Same with nausea. We become nausea if we eat something nauseous if we eat something funny or if, you know, um, we have some kind of stomach condition. But we can also become nauseous because of these chemotherapeutic interventions and uh, acupuncture puncture in Chinese medicine. They work in both circumstances. So we're really fortunate for that. And I've had a lot of patients um, whose lives have been changed during their, their treatments because they didn't know they could have relief from certain signs and symptoms. And acupuncture and essential oils and acupressure can provide that relief. Wow. So thank you for that. That was a really great explanation. Would you say that in almost any case, any symptom is at least something that you would be willing to consider treating as an acupuncturist for, for one of your patients? Yes. And especially in the case of um, cancer care, because I think Chinese medicine works really well when there's some sort of functional um, disturbance in the system. So, you know, if you have a twisted intestine, that might be a difficult thing for, you know, an acupuncturist to treat, or, you know, you go to the emergency room if you break your arm. But when we're talking about organ systems that aren't working or not working as well as we'd like them to, that's a place where acupuncture really shines. And I believe it has something to do, you know, in the, in the Eastern explanation. It has to do with these channels of energy that run between our hands and feet to our thorax and head. And within those channels is this life-giving energy that's called chi. And the points on these channels are what we access with the needles to balance these systems out depending on the signs and symptoms that are presented. We'll ask a whole bunch of questions about every system of the body to find out what is the constellation of symptoms this person is experiencing. And from that constellation that we call a pattern of disharmony, we're able to derive a treatment principle. And from that treatment principle, a, a set of points that we would use. Oh, Ryan, that is beautiful. And, and what you also focused on there is the fact that a treatment for one patient 
may not, in fact, is most likely not going to be the exact treatment for another patient, right? That's the, the yes. individual. If I went back to nausea, um, just to distill it into two basic treatment principles, one person's nausea might be because there's not enough energy to keep the chi dynamic, which is downward in the stomach system from happening. In another person, it might be because there's something stuck so that the energy can't move downward. So that person's treatment principles instead of points will be different. Both of them are experiencing nausea, but we treat it in a slightly different way. And that different way could also have benefits and surprising benefits on other parts of the system. Like I had a patient who had had nausea and for some reason, you know, she was shy about telling me about her constipation, but because um, we did a differential diagnosis and we figured out where the energy was stuck, in this case it was stuck, it wasn't deficient, by moving that energy, she was able to regain, um, she, we fixed her constipation. So that's sort of, you know, how it works using the, the Eastern uh, description of it. I think that there, we're learning more in method of action research about what this meridian system is. And I'm thinking that there's probably some physical correspondence to it in the fascia system that connects our muscles um, in sort of like trains that go through the organs and that the points are neurovascular bundles where it's that plugs into the nervous system, which is one of our autoregulatory systems. And, and this all together allows us to balance out these systems. So you're speaking again here to two really important pieces, right? One mm -hmm. is the fact that in acupuncture and Chinese medicine, the focus will be on the cause of the symptom, right? Treating the yes. cause as opposed to the symptom itself. Mm -hmm. it's a little bit different from what we may be used to in some of the conventional medicine treatment. Um, so, so that is something that's really important for folks to keep in mind. And the other thing is the fact that one of the maybe um, issues that keeps us from potentially accepting acupuncture in its full potential for everyone is the fact that we don't really understand it. And we can't step back and explain every bit and piece of it. We can see what it does. But by some of the research that's going on, you talked about, well, there is potentially some relationship with the connective tissue, with the nervous system, with the, you know, the, maybe the, the spine and the central nervous system, et cetera. So that is, it. and that's a continuing process, right, Ryan? That's something that's still being researched. And if folks are interested, yes. they can actually go online and, and probably research that themselves, right? Absolutely. You can put in a symptom in acupuncture research, and since the late 90s, there has been a lot of efficacy studies that you know show acupuncture to be effective for this and that. And a lot of it has come out of the cancer world because we have cancer hospitals like Sloan Memorial Kettering and MD Anderson, which have really well-funded integrative medicine departments, and they're able to have the sample sizes that are large enough to um, show statistically relevant results, um, which is awesome. And I still think that um, the way that we do acupuncture research, uh, it, to have the gold standard of research, we're using the double-blind placebo-controlled study. And so we're picking point, point palettes for things. So if we were to study nausea, Unfortunately, we might not be able to do it the way we do in clinical practice where we differentiate between, like I did today, excess 
nausea and deficiency nausea. And so we're just picking points that maybe are used in both circumstances to come up with something like commonly used points. And I actually think that the research would show even higher efficacy numbers if we were able to kind of buck the double blind uh, control study and do something that allowed for a differential diagnosis. The problem is if we're sticking to that way of studying things, we're supposed to keep the points all the same to keep um, you know, the, uh, the study valid because we don't want too many variables. Mm-hmm. Right. In the West, there's a differential diagnosis in studies, but they have much larger sample sizes. And so that's part of our problem. We could keep that that model if we had bigger sample sizes, but um, even I think that um, the research doesn't necessarily reflect how effective we actually are in clinical practice is the point. Right, and that's a good point because again, for anyone who's listening that does decide to look at the research, please keep in mind that because we're potentially looking to create a prescription to say, hey, we're gonna use these 10 points for everyone in research, what you just heard Ryan talk about is, you know, the fact that that's not the way it's done if you go to an acupuncture and Chinese medicine pr- practitioner who will look at you as an individual. So let's say if we, if we see that the, um, the research has shown that a particular intervention might be, I don't know, let's say 40% efficacy or 40% effective, right? For the individual that, what I hear you saying, Ryan, is if you actually go to a practitioner and they're looking at you as an individual on top of that prescription and tweaking it to your needs, it's likely to be higher. Yes, exactly. Very, very cool. So we've been talking a lot about acupuncture, and I also want to say you can see how what a wonderful instructor and teacher Ryan is just by listening to him talk about acupuncture. So I think that's been really helpful. Um, and of course, that's how Ryan and I first met, because believe it or not, Ryan was one of my very first acupuncture instructors at Tri-State College of Acupuncture uh, about a decade or so ago now. So um so that, and I learned an awful lot from him and he continues to teach and amaze me. So thank you, Ryan. And thank you, Ruthann. I remember it well because <laughs> you and I would hang out for minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour after class to chat about this stuff. And the same I can say for you, very passionate about <laughs> all different types of medicines and philosophies and medical anthropology. And I learned just as much from you. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So we were talking about the acupuncture piece and of course, we could go on for a long time, but we don't have a long time. We also want to make sure that you have an opportunity to talk at least a little bit about what you are doing with essential oils and maybe how you're combining both acupuncture and essential oils, just to give, again, our listeners an idea of what they might be able to do either, A, in some cases for themselves, sure. talk a little bit about maybe some ideas about what individuals might be able to do for themselves, as well as what they might be able to expect from practitioners. Of course, yes. I I discovered essential oils when I was at Columbia Presbyterian, and I thought to myself, well, this is really nice because, you know, I kind of dabbled in essential oils before that internship and thought, you know, it's they smell great, they can change, affect your mood, they can relax you. Um, but what I quickly discovered is that they could do so much more. They could assist a patient to overcome constipation um, for the caretakers, like the parents of the children. Lavender could really make a difference in that person's um, experience of their own anxiety. And, and so 
I began using them in my private practice. And what I came to discover is beyond just their ability to help relieve certain symptoms that are common, like nausea, um, they were a self-care tool. And with self-care comes patient empowerment. And I think what happens to a cancer patient from the time they're diagnosed, if they're not given some way of caring for themselves, there's a real sense of a loss of control. And when you're going through this journey, depending on the type of cancer you have, there's a lot of different people giving a lot of different pieces of advice and treatment plans, and they're not always connected. And so self-care techniques really allow a patient to regain some sense of control in a situation where they feel like control is lost. And that in and of itself helps somebody to improve their outcomes across the board. Because not only are you getting uh, symptom amelioration from whatever self-care techniques you're using, the mindset that you're back in the driver's seat and you're teaming up with the practitioners around you can really go a long way in improving your quality of life and having a mindset that can get you through this journey. Oh, wow. So you said, a, again, a couple of things. I know I keep repeating, but I think so much of what you say is worth repeating. Mm -hmm. um, the one is you're talking about essential oils. Mm -hmm. You are actually also describing scenarios where you provided some sort of treatment using essential oils that were actually as a result of, a, I would say, a stamp of approval by a hospital system, right? You mm -hmm. did actually use essential oils within, was it Pre Columbia Presbyterian? Columbia Presbyterian. Okay. I think that's important for people to know because sometimes if you might bring up the concept of essential oils, even to your physician, let's say, there sure. might be an initial dismissal of that, right? I mean, have yes. Yeah, I think that essential oils aren't as far along in the research process as, um, as acupuncture is. And I think a part of that is that it, it's difficult for researchers to know that what's in the bottle is exactly what they think it is. And so um, more recently, you have companies that are really serious about quality control. So they'll have third-party testing that's done. So I always recommend to patients, find a company that does rigorous third-party testing that's connected to every bottle. There are companies now that have lot numbers on their bottles. So you can actually look at published third-party tests um, that say that there's no contaminants or anything like that. Because for a long time, the industry is really, most companies purchase their oils through a brokerage system and the brokers get them from the farms. And what this has led to is um, adulteration of oils or synthetics that are produced in a lab that they cut the oils with. So they may not be dangerous, but they may not do much. Right. And so um, this, is, this is changing as people have begun to get excited about um, complementary approaches in medicine and plant medicinals. You have companies that are now big enough they can afford this type of rigorous testing. And um, I think that now we're seeing more and more research coming out about the method of actions of essential oils and efficacy research around essential oils. 
all really good points. And this also causes me to think about a couple of the healthcare systems where I have actually worked. Um, I've worked as a consultant and in their integrative medicine department, the folks there have pushed to have essential oils accepted within the organization. And actually what they've been able to do is have them listed on the hospital's formulary, the pharmaceutical formulary. So mm -hmm. I believe in those cases, there were very specific, maybe it was only one or two um, producers, uh, manufacturers of the essential oils where the healthcare systems could purchase. So that sounds like what you're talking about. So there are certain more respected, maybe more controlled methodologies that are used by certain types of companies. And so you really need to be careful and know. So how would individuals know how to find these, these organizations, Ryan? If they, let's say if they wanted to buy uh, an essential sure. oil on their own. Well, I would break it down into three things. Um, you want the oils sourced from the place that the plant is indigenous to, because that enhances the plant's power. It's in the soil it evolved in, in the environment it evolved in, in the temperature that it evolved in. And so we know that lavender, for example, from the Mediterranean, is more powerful than lavender in the United States. There are components that are um, relaxants, like central nervous system relaxants. One of them is little linalool, and there's a higher linalool content in the lavender from the Mediterranean. So that's one thing. The other thing is that third-party testing. Some companies, they'll do it you know, once or twice a year, once a month on a batch. Every batch, why not? If there are companies out there that are testing every batch before it's shipped and after it's shipped, before it goes in the bottle, then why not pick one that um, has uh, batch test every bottle that you can then go and look at the results of those tests. Um, and then the other thing is, I know I said three, rigorous testing, plants from the place where they're indigenous to, um, I guess those are really the big two. I thought I had three when I started this, but I think that's it. We covered all three concepts somewhere. In yes. That's totally good. So the other thing that you mentioned when you were talking about the importance and the impact of essential oils is this concept of self-care. And you put that very eloquently. You know, you basically said, you know, with self-care comes a sense of patient empowerment. And especially mm. for patients who have been diagnosed with cancer or, or a whole, the whole multitude of chronic disorders that, that patients are diagnosed with and they're told, you know, there is no cure for this condition. And now you're walking around with this kind of label. I, I, I've talked to so many people who feel like, you know, that is them. They become the condition, right? Mm -hmm. And they feel like they don't, they can't do anything for themselves. But in, a, in the case of essential oils or really any of the self-care interventions that we talk about on this podcast and in the work that we do, there is something that patients, there's always something that patients can do for themselves. And this is a good example of it, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So I always encourage people to, you know, find somebody who knows about essential oils. This could be um, a distributor from um, one of these companies that um, has a direct relationship with the farmers that does the third-party testing. Um, and these distributors are often quite knowledgeable. They have a passion around this. Um, it could be a practitioner. Um, and then what you 
I, I generally, if you're feeling overwhelmed because, you know, there's so many oils out there and you're coming to this conversation for some type of um, cancer care, I like to recommend two oils in particular. One of them is lavender because lavender is great for relaxation. It's great for anxiety and it's great for sleep. And so those help to restore a person's energy through the body's recovery systems. Um, from a Chinese medical perspective, we have this concept of yin, and it's this sort of sustenance in the body that gives us, you know, the uh, if you would imagine um, an oil lamp, it's the oil that keeps the fire going, right? So um, we can replenish that with sleep by not being stressed out. And so I like to think of lavender as this really great kind of yin tonic. And then peppermint is great because peppermint is a cerebral stimulant. So if you're feeling fatigued, peppermint is a great way to wake up. It can um, it can create a sense of being alert. It can enhance your ability to be alert. And it also is great for nausea. So you can see these two oils become kind of like a Swiss army knife with um, a broad band of different actions that can really help someone as they're going through this journey. And then there are apps that are really great that basically are like desk references where you can put in a symptom and they'll spit out research-based um, uses. So if someone's feeling a little down or depressed, citrus oils are great. They really uplift the mood. The chemical messenger molecule of these oils is similar to the oils that create, or the emotions that, the molecules of emotion that create a, a positive feeling. Um, and then, you know, if someone's constipated, you put in constipation to one of these references and you'll discover that an abdominal massage with rosemary and lemon, that can really help to get things moving. So um, I, I tell people to start easy with something like lavender and peppermint. And then if this, is, this feels good to you and this gets you excited, then um, move on to a desk reference and you can start kind of playing with those other symptoms as well. Okay, so Brian, is there a desk reference that you would recommend, highly recommend? Or I like, I like, I use Modern Essentials. I think Modern Essentials is a nice one. You can, it's like $7.99. Okay. And it goes right on your phone. Okay, so Modern Essentials. And then another quick question in terms of when we say, you know, you're talking about recommending let, try both lavender and or peppermint. When we say try, how what would somebody do with the essential oils? Sure. Yeah. So essential oils can be used a couple of different ways. One of them is inhalation method. And so you can get a diffuser. You can get one usually through an essential oil company or at Bed Bath & Beyond or on Amazon. And what that is, it's like a tub of uh, water that has this cold mist that bubbles up through the surface where you layer a couple drops of oil on and that the reason for that is you never want to use heat you don't want to use a candle i know sometimes there are these candle ceramic things that you can put oils on and it will create a perfume smell in the air but we really want these molecules medicinal quality to be preserved so there's these cool mist um oil diffusers and so that's just one way to change 
um, your physiology, believe it or not, I won't get into all the details, but the oil molecules inhalation method, they interact with your nervous system through the olfactory bulb. And this is what aromatherapists did um, or do. And they work, um, they do also work with topical method, which I'll explain in a minute. But I think uh, aromatherapy is a great way to get into essential oils. You can also put a couple of drops into your hand and then just bring your hands up to your nose and inhale. Now, I will say this about peppermint because I recommended peppermint. There are a few contraindications with uh, essential oils. One are citrus oils. You don't want to put them on and then go out in the sun because they can increase your chances of burning. Uh, peppermint essential oil, it's considered a hot oil. So if you get it in the eyes, it can sting. If that did happen, say you put a couple drops of peppermint on your hands and then you were inhaling and you touched your eye, you could get that sting out lickety split by just putting a little... Uh, what we call a carrier oil in your eye, anything that you have in your kitchen, like a coconut oil or um, any oil, vegetable oil, a canola oil. Um, washing it out with soap and water isn't as effective. It's really a carrier oil that'll take it out of your eye. Um, but those are some things just to know when you start using essential oils. All right. Well, thank you. I think that's, that's good in terms of getting people started. I'm sure there are a lot of questions. Sure. Uh, but also, I, I mentioned in the beginning of, our, of the podcast the fact that you have actually created your own app. Is, is the app available? Are you still working on it? I'm still working on the app, but essentially what it is is an app that teaches how to use essential oils and acupressure to uh, target specific common cancer-related symptoms and cancer treatment-related symptoms. Wow, imagine everything that Ryan is, what you've just been talking about, and obviously you could probably go on for hours and hours, all of that you jam-packed into an app, so everybody will, <laughs> will want that app, I'm sure. So um, how can people reach you if they were interested in maybe uh, coming to see you as a practitioner or if they had questions, what would be the best way? They can reach me at info at fivepointacupuncture.com. That's the number five, P-O-I-N-T, acupuncture.com. And they can um, also um, reach me through the website itself. Um, so they can go to www.fivepointacupuncture.com. Okay, great. Well, that's good. And so before we end, and there's so much more, I actually have a million questions in my head, so we might have to bring you back, Ryan, with that sure. <laughs> at some point in the future. But before we end, would you share with our audience and our listeners uh, your own favorite self-care practice? Uh, yes, of, of course. So I really love to start the day with essential oils. And so I will, in my home or in my treatment room, put a blend of wild orange and peppermint because they are uh, two great ways to start the day in that the wild orange creates feelings of uh, positivity, happiness, and then the um, peppermint creates a sense of being alert and being present, uh, being present. Rosemary does as well. Sometimes I'll add that. And then at night, 
I like to use very grounding and settling oils. So I usually use a mix of lavender, cedar wood, and, um, and vetiver. Now, you can, anybody can go and get an acupressure book um, from Amazon, um, you know, in your bookstore. And what I would recommend is if you have some time before you go to sleep, take those oils, look at a sleep enhancing protocol and press those points with the oil. And then in the morning, if you have five or 10 minutes, if there's an energy enhancing protocol in this book, um, add those uh, oils that I diffuse in the morning to those points. Because I think that those oils are actually stimulating those neurovascular bundles, those points. So you're getting a treatment in two ways. One is through the topical application. And just by putting them on the points, you're going to smell the oil. So you're getting the aromatic benefits as well. And the acupressure all at the same time. Oh boy. So the, the extra focus, you're, you, that's actually, and that's, I'm assuming something that you also do in your treatment of patients when you use both acupuncture and essential oils. Yes. Yeah. And I like to teach that to my patients because I, essential oils are really pleasant to work with. So as a self-care technique, it's ideal because of that pleasant aspect. It keeps people coming back. Sometimes it's hard to be compliant with self-care techniques. But what I find is the addition of the essential oils helps them to do the acupressure because they really enjoy it. Yes. And it's also something that's easy to share with other people, right? So you can do it yourself and maybe talk about it and or share it. So hopefully everyone who's listening will try some of those. The, I didn't know about orange. That's actually pretty interesting. Orange and peppermint. You said orange and peppermint together in the morning, right? Yes. Uh, peppermint for alert, orange or tangerine for sort of a cheerful, uplifting, happy feeling. Okay. I get that. Yep. I can definitely see that. And in the evening, lavender and cedarwood? Cedarwood and vetiver. Okay. What's that last one? I actually don't know that one. Vetiver is this very earthy smelling um, oil. It's, um, it's very grounding and very relaxing. Okay, so there's another one. Every, I'm sure everyone's writing that down and they'll probably go out and buy those essential oils as soon as we finish, <laughs> or at least I hope so. That, anyway, thank you, Ryan. Is there anything else that you'd like to leave uh, folks with before we end? No, just thank you so much. I'm so grateful to have been able to be here. And I hope that if anybody has any questions whatsoever, obviously you can tell I love talking about this stuff. Please feel free to reach out and I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank you so much, Ryan. It's been such a pleasure talking with you again. And um, we will probably try to have you back sooner than later. Sounds great, Ruthann. Thank you again so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye.